there was this one moment on the on the broadcast where they flashed to a box. And as you know, the U.S. Open is always flashing the celebrities that are in attendance. And they had one box that had Jerry Seinfeld, John Bon Jovi, who seems to be going to every match. Mm-hmm. Um, Debbie Gibson, which you haven't heard that much about Debbie Gibson in a while. Uh, and wow, and, that's the that's the understatement okay. of the year. right. But no, that, that's not even where I'm going with this. And then the, and then Rick Astley. Now, I had to go back and rewind and like find which one of those guys is Rick Astley. Well, once you see him, you're like, he kind of looks the same. And then I'm thinking ESPN just Rick rolled the entire country um, <laughs> with this shot of of the box. And I'm like, Rick Astley's got the agent to get him get him that seat with Seinfeld and Bon Jovi. I'm like, well done, Rick Astley. Welcome to the latest episode of Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. David, what's on your mind this week? Well, we had a, a rather large announcement coming out of Major League Baseball last week that they are going to adopt some of these very major rules changes for 2023, ones that they've been testing in the minor leagues, uh, primarily to cut time off the game and uh, uh, shorten it, make it a little more uh, snackable, I suppose, uh, for for young viewers. But the game really has gotten a little you know, out of hand in terms of its length. So um, I'm I'm pretty optimistic that these things will help. In in the minor league tests, it shaved off uh, quite a bit of time um, from the average game. And and just to kind of do a quick uh, overview, the the main things are going to be pitch timers, um, uh, restrictions on shifts. um, And the one that just, for some reason, I figured I hadn't heard of this one before being the issue. And maybe it's just me not watching, but the the bases, first, second, and third anyway, are going to be larger. Um, so, uh, yeah, my understanding that's, that's more of a safety issue. So anyway, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, although I do think that, you know, one of the things is only two times, two times off of the rubber during any at bat, which I have to think is going to help, you know, just base stealing come back to become an art. Um, and now that they have bigger bases, it might help as well. So, uh, listen, I'm interested to see how it, how it goes. Um, I think that, you know, some of the players will probably gripe uh, now. Uh, the shift one was actually pretty big because we'd come to expect the shift from time to time. And now uh, all players have to be inside of the inside of the dirt and there have to be two players on each side of the second base. So, um, you know, we're not going to see those those massive shifts for those people that uh, can do nothing but pull the baseball. Yeah, that was the easiest thing to change. Um, but I could understand the argument on the other side, which is. Hitters need to learn to hit to all fields, but uh, but I, I, do, I do agree with these. I, I my understanding is the bases thing, like I said, is uh, for safety. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know how big they're going to become, right? You know, we have a guest coming up in a couple of weeks who was involved with that first sale of uh, a base to what was uh, the new Spider-Man movie. We'll tease that out there. So now there's more space for uh, for MLB to ultimately sell uh, sponsorships. On I, su- I suppose. Well, listen, I mean, speaking of of sponsorship and what this means beyond just making the game a little faster is, is does it does it become more appealing? We did have some uh, attendance issues in, in markets this year. Um, and does this help uh, get people back uh, knowing that it's not as big of a time commitment? Uh, will it mean... Uh, better viewership. Does that then uh, help with the sponsorship equation? I say all that, you know, and and I, but also adding that Major League Baseball had a pretty good year in a lot of ways. Um, some great storylines. They brought in some new partners. They had some exciting new distribution news on the media side. But it, you know, it's very apparent that that Rob Manfred is not sitting still, uh, and that they're they're trying to implement some changes. I mean, he, you know, for the most traditional of games. He seems ready to make changes uh, when he thinks it's going to benefit the sport. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would uh, suggest you and and our listeners, if you ever get the chance, every once in a while, SNY here in New York 
will rebroadcast New York Mets 1969 World Series games in their entirety. World Series games, mind you, were under two hours, right? Those pitchers did not come off the mound. Those batters did not leave the batter's box. Um, and, uh, you know, regular season games were typically, you know, an hour and 45, an hour and 40, an hour and 50 minutes. Now, uh, the average Red Sox-Yankee game is like one quarter of a Scaramucci. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this has all been driven by the analytics of the game, right? Yep. You know, we have we – have, there's so much analysis going on, pitch count, um, you know, and, and pitchers never going – you know, deep into a game. And when you have people pitching no hitters and so forth getting pulled, I, that always just baffled me. I, I, you know, it's just kind of crazy when they're, when they're having this kind of a performance, but they just, you know, they're, they're planning it. It's all based on the number. So this is kind of the counter to what the analytics have done to the game, I think, and slow it down. I mean, and I think the other thing, you know, I think a lot of blame could go to, you know, the, to Timmy Trumpet um, and, <laughs> uh, and the whole Mets thing. But although I have to admit, other than the fact that I do kind of agree with Seinfeld that the whole thing started, you know, going going bad after he was there in person um, to intro your uh, the Mets uh, star. Eduardo Perez. Yes. Yeah. In um, my mind, Timmy Trumpet is the is the worst thing that's happened to Major League Baseball since the PED scandal. <laughs> oh well, you know, it's Rock City Field quite a bit this season, so I'll I'll uh, I'll give him I'll give him that. That race is one of the races that, that we knew was going to stay tight um, yeah. uh, when we had Adam Zimmerman on the show. And they were, I think, about five games back at that point. But um, And, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been a collapse by the Mets like it was last year. I mean, Atlanta is just playing ridiculous baseball since the beginning of August. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the American league central is, uh, is super tight as well. So, um, so we'll see, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things to uh, be excited about still with baseball. And then I, you know, I am looking forward to seeing how this is going to, going to play out uh, next season, what it's going to mean from an overall business standpoint for the uh, sport. What about you? Uh, what do you have your mind on? Well, a couple of things, keeping on the baseball theme, um, and Rob Manford and his uh, willingness to adapt with the times. Uh, MLB told the Players Association that they would voluntarily recognize minor league players as a collective bargaining unit, um, which could have, you know, uh, you know, fairly significant implications uh, from a cost perspective, from a quality of life perspective for these players. And um, so I think that's I think that's great. Right. They're mm -hmm. you know, they're taking care of the most valuable asset, which are their future players. What else is on my mind? Interesting, you know, in fall, a young man's thoughts turn to or fancies turn to thoughts of football, right? Um, so we were talking last week about professional or college football this week. Um, interestingly, the Bills Rams Thursday night opening night ratings were down 19% from last year, the Bucks Cowboys opening night game. Now they attribute some of that to the fact that it was a blowout. They attribute it to the fact that some people's attention might have been on the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, you and I have talked about, you know, the, the importance of not drawing too much from uh, a single data point, but 19% is a significant decrease. Yeah, it sure is. And we don't, we're recording this without having um, this full weekend's numbers. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, we will, we'll have to, you know, wait on that to see if it, it plays out. Um, I mean, listen, it was a, uh, um, I, I was happy with this week because because the Bears actually came out and came back in the second half and won a game. So congrats to Matt Eberflus and winning his first game as a as a head coach. Um, I, I won't ask. What's it like what, to have a What's it like I, what, to have a team that wins a game? What, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was yeah no it was a, another tough one for you Jets I know but um, well on a positive note I'll probably have my Sundays back in October. <laughs> Well, but how I mean, about, but how about the how about that Giants game? Did you see that? Yeah, well, it was interesting. Holy heck. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was pretty great to see how uh, re reminded how uh, great Saquon Barkley could be because he was looking he was looking pretty strong again, and that was a good game. There were a couple there were a couple really good games. 
Uh, I didn't really wa- – I watched a fair amount of college this week, and to your point last week about just the excitement of the college season, I mean, there were another great games that – the, the Sun Belt beat three, you know, name programs. I mean, how about that? And, you know, and made we, a significant amount of money. Right, made they, a significant amount of money. You're absolutely right. You know, when we talk about the um, the 10 uh, FBS commissioners and Jack Swarbrick from Notre Dame, by the way, I always love saying that for whatever reason. It's yeah, like you, you say you, the you, 10 commissioners and Jack Swarbrick from Notre Dame <laughs> because that's who meets. It's just like he gets his own name because he's the, he's the independent guy. Um, anyway, Sun Belt's in that. I mean, they're they're – they're part of that FBS thing, but they're not exactly SEC and 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 Big Ten or you know Big Twelve or ACC for that matter. Um, but yeah, I mean they cashed big checks. Marshall, App State, uh, whom we've mentioned on the show, and uh, and Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern beating Nebraska doesn't seem like that much of one because Nebraska is just not good. But uh, kudos but, to Scott Frost. He gets fired. Early enough in the season that his buyout's fifteen million. I think yep. if he was fired after October first, he only would have made seven right. and a half million dollars. Right. I just if I if I got paid that, I'd just go play uh, you know, stratomatic football for the rest of my life. Well, I was watching in addition to uh some college football, I spent a fair amount of the weekend and actually didn't watch that much uh NFL football because I was watching a fair amount of the US Open this weekend. Uh, which finally closed to a, a rousing finish by the young Spaniard, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, um, mm-hmm. who is obviously just burst on the scene now and and has the uh, is, is the number one player in the world after after some amazing matches, including a number, I think three five set matches he played. Uh, he beat Casper Ruud in the final um, from Norway in a in a four set match, but it was a good, good match. And the crowd obviously has fallen in love with this. Um, is we were talking about before the show. I mean, it, this might be a passing of the torch uh, from the from the big three. Um, Nadal, who went out, you know, lost to Tiafo um, fairly early in the tournament. Djokovic wasn't here, and of course, Federer wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Um, I got I got a funny text from my dad last night, um, who's a big tennis fan, and he said. Do you think Federer like even wants to come back after watching these young studs play uh, play? And I'm thinking that's a pretty good thought. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he could he could play with these guys right now. Um, the way this game is going and just how young and fresh they all look. Yeah. But but the other thing is is the uh, attendance records to get to the business side of this. Um, the uh, the tournament broke all records, and that was uh, that was it was great to see. And I was fortunate to get out there a couple of times. There was this one moment on the on the broadcast where they flashed to a box. And as you know, the U.S. Open is always flashing the celebrities that are in attendance. And they had one box that had Jerry Seinfeld, John Bon Jovi, who seems to be going to every match, mm-hmm. um, Debbie Gibson, which you haven't heard that much about Debbie Gibson in a while. Uh, and wow, and, that's the that's the right. over understatement okay. of the year. right. But no, that's not even it's <laughs> not even that's not even where I'm going with this. And then the, and then Rick Astley. Now, I had to go back and rewind and like find which one of those guys is Rick Astley. Well, once you see him, you're like, he kind of looks the same. And then I'm thinking ESPN just Rick rolled the entire country um, <laughs> <laughs> with this shot of of the box. And I'm like. Rick Astley's got the agent to get him get him that seat with Seinfeld and Bon Jovi. I'm like, well done, Rick Astley. Yeah, in in, uh, in a bit of irony, ESPN showed more musicians in one broadcast than MTV has in the last 35 years. <laughs> right. Oh man. Well, I'm sorry to see this event go. I really do love it as a kind of a unofficial close to the summer. Um, I have to say so. Um, bye bye U.S. Open and job well done by uh, by all of all the people that put that tournament on and for ESPN for doing an amazing job broadcasting. You know who's a freaking good tennis analyst? Who's that? McEnroe, John or Patrick? Well, they both are, but John yes, was yeah. uh, John was exceptional during this tournament. I thought um, he was exceptional. He really was. I mean, the stuff, I mean, I, I'm learning stuff and then you're, you're able to watch it and kind of notice what he's talking about uh, in the game. And he was obviously effusive in his praise for, for Alcaraz and not surprisingly, because this mm-hmm. is the guy, this guy is just the energizer bunny, man. I, I agree. I, I love listening to him. Yeah. Put a little spotlight on sponsorships where you and I have 
Spotlight on sponsorship. That's even better than sponsorship spotlight. I love that. How do we feel about these sponsorship deals? Spotlight on sponsorship. That's going to be the new name of this, Tim. Okay. Spotlight on sponsorship. It just feels a little better. Less alliterative. Yeah, so we had, you know, we're talking sponsorship showcase, sponsorship corner, sponsor, spotlight on sponsorship. All right. Uh, well, Let's you and it. I have made our bones in that space, but we don't necessarily talk about sponsorships all that much on this podcast. So, but a lot of cool stuff going on. What you, what there is, know? there is. The, the one thing, one quick thing I want to talk about, not that, not that to go into big detail on it, but it's, it's one of those moments when a sponsor leaves a sponsorship that gets a lot of our attention. And after or nearly 40-year partnership, um, John Hancock is pulling out of the Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon is a is a 125-year-old event. It's the you know the oldest and I still think most prestigious of the of the you know world marathons. Uh, so it is a big deal. I'll say this that's disappointing and you hate to you hate to see that at the same time they are not going to have a problem bringing a new partner in. Um, it's a great event. Um, the sponsorship market is strong, and I think we'll see someone uh, back on that from a presenting sponsorship standpoint quite quickly. I, I agree. I think that's a very sellable property. And now that we're sort of out of the pandemic and things will you know, be normal, hopefully, for the future, I think that you know, it's just a, it's a great opportunity. And I'm sure the guys who put on the marathon are out there actively selling it in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, one other uh, one I want to mention, and this is the new banking partner of Major League Baseball, Capital One, has stepped into a, a, what I think could be a really cool platform, and I'm going to be excited to see how it plays out. Uh, but they're going to be the presenting sponsor of the Roberto Clemente Award, which is similar to NFL's Walter Payton Award, honoring mm-hmm. someone that has made a big impact in the community as as Roberto Clemente was famous for. Uh, in addition to just being one of the most brilliant baseball players ever to play, he was uh, he was an amazing citizen. So we're going to hear a lot more about that because it's Roberto Clemente Day this week in Major League Baseball, and uh, Capital One has a has a big new partnership. We'll be looking forward to seeing how they market this, how they activate around it. Yeah, no, good on good on Capital One. That's a very prestigious and um, uh, prestigious award, and also it, it's it's one that um, I think the players take great pride in even being nominated for no less, no less winning. So, right. Uh, right. You know, we, we, uh, we talked very early in this podcast about our sort of hopes for what capital one would do. Uh, but we were thinking more along the lines of what they would do with uh, their spokespeople, like they use in basketball around the uh, final four in March madness with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and, and Charles Barkley and, uh, and Spike Lee. And so it'd be interesting to, to see, um, how they activate this particular thing. Yeah, that, I agree with that. It, it's interesting because they are known for that type of advertising. They they bring a lot of stars in, you know, not dissimilar to how uh, almost how Subway advertises, bring a lot of star star power to the game. And, and we focus on that. So it, I was I was happy to see uh, this direction as part of the arsenal for Capital One and Major League Baseball. Hey, I want to do a couple quick things that um, we don't we don't talk all that much about stuff that we're actively involved in. I, I, on the sponsorship front, I did want to say congrats on uh, the renewal uh, that uh, you worked on for uh, the Campbell Soup Snacks Division in the Pac-12. I uh, read about Thank that you. this week, so I wanted to congratulate you on that. Thank you. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, Campbell's... Uh, it's been a great client of mine and Stephen Chris, kudos to him for his vision. And uh, that's something I started working on um, well before I started with Sweet. So it was, it was nice to see uh, the announcement come out. But kudos to you as well. Tell us about your uh, well, your, I have, you've been working on in, in America's heartland. Yeah, I, I wanted to point this out. Not not so much, mostly because I just think it's a really interesting play. And, it, and I think it does illustrate you know, the different ways sponsorship could be used across different categories. So I'm working with a company uh, that's actually out of Boston uh, as well. Uh, And the division is called Carbon by Indigo, but it's a company called uh, uh, Indigo Agriculture. And they they market to farmers um, to take advantage of the carbon credit market. Uh, And uh, the decision was made to utilize um, college football. And we're starting this uh, in the 
serious heartland of the country in the state of Iowa and have uh, deals in place with uh, with both Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, there will uh, most likely be some NIL deals in place, uh, particularly with uh, with student athletes that that have a farming background and actually know it, not just someone that wants to talk about a brand. Obviously, the, the farmers are incredibly important to the state of Iowa. This company is focused on, on delivering for the farmer, both uh, trying to put some money in their pocket through the, the selling of carbon credits that they earn through uh, changing some habits on the farm to uh, create more sustainable farming environments. So this is like a classic win-win-win um, uh, type of relationship, and it's it's been exciting to be part of this. I, I think this company's got some really uh, smart uh, people that uh, that are working on a on a cool thing, and um, particularly Kyle Marchesso, who's a was a former client of mine at Staples, um, uh, who's kind of driving this. So it's uh, it's just been great, and I just I just like cool, interesting, you know, partnerships, and and I think this is one of them. I think you're right. I agree with you. Congratulations again. And I think, you know, you and I both know that when when all sides really feel like they can get something out of the partnership is when you have the most successful relationships. So that's great. I look forward to hearing more about that and the athletes uh, they partner with. One more I think you had uh, you want to chat about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I found this quite um, amusing. Uh, there is a company out of the UK called Lilo that uh, calls themselves a sexual wellness company. Um, others might call them a sex toy company. Um, but they they got um, an interesting brand exposure deal with a lower division club called London Colney FC, in which the Lilo brand will be on the crotch of all of the London Colney players. Um, no financials were disclosed. But um, I just thought it was a very clever sponsorship. I, I, I'll be interested to see if they if they uh, get with more high profile clubs if this if this uh, moves the needle for them business wise. Have you seen the you know how the logo actually manifests itself on the yeah, on the, the uniform? The, <laughs> the best way I can describe it is if you've ever been on a plane and there is a woman. Uh, and you've be, you've been seated, and there's a woman trying to put up her bag, and all you can see is the juicy logo across her behind as she's putting her bag up into so it's the on the front overhead yeah. compartment. But this is on the front, yes, mm -hmm. quite prominent. You know, unlike uh, on the front of the uh, jersey, it's on the front of the shorts. Did the league have to do any you know adjustments to their uniform policies? You know, I would imagine that that. That level of English football, there probably weren't too many restrictions in place. So I have to say your your uh, in-depth description of you know the comparison between the juicy logo uh, on on people and the and the way you took that obviously something you've experienced quite a bit to be able to bring it up in that level of details. So. Too, too often, first of all, and second of all, we're an audio medium. So I want right. to paint a picture for right. our listeners. <laughs> okay, Vin. <laughs> <laughs> with that, I think it's time to take a break, and we will be back with our guest. It's time for our guest. Saying that our guest today has been a major force in the sports business for the last few decades would be an understatement. George Pine is the founder and CEO of Bruin Capital, an investment and operating company specializing in working with with capital partners and management teams to build best-in-class global sports, media, entertainment, marketing, and technology companies. I first met George in the, I think, mid-90s when we were both cutting our teeth in the NASCAR world or trying to cut our teeth in the NASCAR world. Uh, he, of course, went on to become the COO of NASCAR and then the president of IMG, eventually orchestrating the sale of IMG to Endeavor. He then launched Bruin in 2015. George, welcome to the show. Great to see you, Dave. I had a lot more hair back in those days, but it's great to see you and, and see Tim. I feel like we're talking to two, two good uh, friends from the from the industry. Well, we, appre we appreciate you being here. Hey, before I start with a question, you know, Tim and I have this thing about he, he seems to land guests and then later he tells me they went to Cornell, his alma mater. Um, and we've only had one um, Wake Forest guest on the show. So he's he's got me beat on that. But what I do want to point out is that, th George, you are the second guest 
that has a kid at Wake Forest, followed right. by Norm Gambuza, the PGA, who uh, who has a son at Wake Forest. And you just dropped your daughter off uh, at Wake Forest not long ago, I saw. Yeah, no, my daughter Rachel's a freshman there, and, and she's really excited and having a great time. And it's an outstanding school, and feel real fortunate that she's a Demon Dig. Well, I feel good about that too. So I hope she has a great, <laughs> great experience. Also, you're, a de- you're a deacon as well. I, I am. I am a demon deacon. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's you know a good friend of mine's Billy Andrade. He just won the Payne Stewart Award. He's oh, yeah. a- well, I was I was gonna I was gonna bring that up too because I saw I saw that when Billy won that. Billy Billy played when I was there, and I had the golf uh, I had the golf beat in the SID office. Um, uh, but I figured if I brought that up and brought the Rachel news up that Tim would start rolling his eyes even sooner than he normally does during the no, show. No, no. If, if it was a George's daughter, I might, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that my, would just be rude to a guest. Yeah. She's my most dynamic child. She, she's quick <laughs> on her feet, connects the, connects the dots really quick. In fact, she's the only one that can make me uh, swallow my tongue. She's, she's pretty quick. Well, listen, that's great. And I'm sure we'll talk about college because obviously the pine family and, and, uh, uh, and college and college sports is uh, kind of a big thing, but let's, Let's go ahead and start this discussion, and uh, I'd, I'd love to give you an opportunity to provide a top-line overview of Bruin. Um, what's the mission, investment approach? Why so bullish in the sports and entertainment space? Yeah, well, listen, I think, first of all, uh, what is Bruin? Bruin is a, is a global company. You know, Today, we have in our portfolio companies 2,800 employees and 50 offices in 20 countries. And we work with almost every major league or federation, you know, in the world. Uh, we've really kind of fallen into becoming a uh, an importer of really great European uh, companies into America, and now we're starting to export company uh, services outside of America. And we we bought a company in Australia, so we're truly a global company. I think the point of difference for us is we're operationally focused. So we work well with management. I myself go on a sales call for every company we own. I've been fired by a client. I missed the budget. You know, I've failed miserably in life. So I'm empathetic when those things happen because it happens to all of us. And so I think having that perspective makes us, you know, valuable to be around the management. And so it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's personal. Uh, I don't really care about winning as much in life as I just really hate losing. Uh, and so I've had a lot of fun. Uh, I have nobody to blame but myself. I got a great group of partners and a great group of investors. And I, I've really enjoyed myself. So when you when you launched Bruin back in 2015, you called it Bruin Sports Capital, but um, you shifted. Some would say subtly. Some would say maybe not so subtly, but but certainly you shifted from Bruin Sports Capital to Bruin Capital. Take us through your thought process of of that brand repositioning. Yeah, and the only other thing I would add, Tim and Dave, is that we like to build companies. And so we built on location, had a successful exit, built Delta Trade, had a successful exit. So we like to build companies and, and partner with them, uh, people. Uh, Bruin Capital versus Bruin Sports Capital. Um, you know, we've, we've dabbled or thought about uh, investing in some businesses that are involved in sports, but aren't sports-oriented businesses primarily. And having the sports in there sometimes can be um, – intimidating maybe for a non-sports company so we wanted to be more open to all uh, everything we've done and probably everything we will do will most likely be involved in sports but those companies that may not be in sports today that you might want to migrate into sports we wanted to be kind of open and, and, and welcoming and of course you never say never because you don't know what the future holds so i, I we didn't just want to be restricted to sports we wanted to be open because as you know Sports has so many various lines of business, and we didn't want to limit ourselves uh, in that regard. Makes sense. You know, Tim and I spent a lot of time in the agency world, as have you, and uh, in addition to being on the on the client side, Bruin holds positions in several well-respected agencies, including Engine Shop, Two Circles, Chicago-based design firm uh, SoulSite. What is your current take on? the agency business, particularly those that aren't in the, say, the portfolio of the big giant multinational companies like Publicis and Interpublic? Well, I, you know, I think it's always evolving, always changing. I think it's uh, entrepreneurial. I mean, when you look at the businesses we invested, we invest really, when you do this thing, you have to find a good company, but you're also investing in the people. And, uh, you know, we think Chris Handy at Engine Shop 
is a terrific leader. Uh, George Ardros and his partner Jim are, are terrific people at Soul at Soul Site. Um, and then in in the case of uh, Two Circles, we believe in the management team. And then we were always kind of informed. I always thought about things like the media consumption is changing, so we want to invest around the change. And, and the idea for Soul Site was, you know, in, in a digital world, design is important. I mean, Apple is a, a design company. Nike's almost a design. And so that was kind of the idea behind SoulSite. In the case of Two Circles, the idea was, hey, it's a data company. Data is the future. And so we felt like data was consistent with our, our thesis. So we'd like to invest around the change. And, and so most of our investments are informed uh, to that degree. So you've made a number of investments in technology companies, uh, TGI, Full Swing, Delta Tray, which you, you sold earlier this year uh if if you're talking to somebody who's either working in the sports industry or looking to invest in the sports industry um what should they be looking at as far as technology and where the technology is heading yeah again it goes back to the simple premise of hey the way people consume content is changing i want to invest around that change when i was working many years ago with john portman one thing i learned is we were going through a, cha a change in the channels of distribution um, we, we were in the trade show and trademark business, and there were these new uh, new companies called Walmart and The Gap. I know I'm so old to even say that. <laughs> but, uh, and I saw them wipe out these mom-and-pop retailers and change the, the dynamics of our trade show and trademark business. And I always said to myself, if I could ever invest around a channel change, I want to do it because there's big winners and losers. And so media consumption is changing, and so we want to – invest around the change and you know the other thing that we're measured on here is is results you know I, I really have to get financial results and so you really want to be in a place where it's a growing market and so uh, technology is disrupting every part of our life and therefore um, there's a lot more opportunity around it so to me I always tell somebody you know if you're looking to do something go in a growth segment and certainly technology today around media consumption is certainly a growth area and it's something very dynamic and that's really kind of the thesis behind our investment and we've really migrated if you look between brewing one and brewing two for the brewing companies recently we've really migrated heavy on on, on technology i mean two circles is data but really tech delta trace uh, tech odd checkers tech full swings tech tgi is tech i mean we're really uh, focused on the tech space we're going to, and I'm about to use a really bad pun here, switch gears, superstar racing experience, more commonly known as SRX, something you formed with Tony Stewart, Ray Evernham, uh, two seasons under your belt, uh, attracted some great racers, gotten some excitement. Obviously the co-owner, Tony Stewart is, uh, is involved, uh, on the track as well. Where do you, where do you see SRX fitting into the motorsports landscape and where do you, where, you know, what are the expectations moving forward? Yeah. So, so we, we, we wanted to do something that was fun and kind of was around brand names and championship drivers. And so I think we're really trying to get into the motorsports entertainment business and try and develop a product for today's consumer. You know, it's a, you're on the track an hour and 30 or an hour and 40 minutes. We have three segments. You know, we, we were really, really pleased with the racing. It was close and competitive. And we felt like there should be a place where championship drivers can have fun and compete and resonate with the fans. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun for me to go back, you know, the short tracks. This year, five of the six races were sold out. One that rained in Nashville. You go to these racetracks, it's the biggest crowd, like in, in Stafford, it's the biggest crowd in 20 years and when you go to these places they're packed it's exciting so we put out a good product uh, you know we have 27 racetracks that want to run races we only have six races next year uh, we've got a million people a week we we're pretty pleased with that the racing is very good and we and we broke even in our in only our second year so i think all those things are, are pretty good and i think kind of like any new business we're still feeling our way and we're trying to carve a niche in, in, in the ecosystem that really rewards championship uh, drivers in a fun and exciting way. It seems like everybody associated with it is just having a blast. Yeah, the guy, actually, you know, I think every single driver came back. And I think more drivers, we had more drivers want to race this year than the year before. Yeah. Because I just think the guys have a fun time. Look, I'm, uh, 
I'm Michael Waltrip. I get to go against Hila Castro Davis or Matt Kenseth against uh, Tony Kanon. And, you know, it's just a lot of fun. And the, and the guys that I don't, by the way, Tony's been fantastic too. So I think the IndyCar and the NASCAR guys racing against one another have really enjoyed it. And look, you know, if LeBron James could play Michael Jordan in the even field or, tr- or uh, court, would we all like to see it? We would. I mean, the cars are equal. We show up and it's 100% you know, on the driver's skills. So the idea was to have close competitive racing and focus on the driver's skill. But the guys have really had fun. I've had fun. Yeah. I I kind of sense that. I kind of sense that in your, (laughs) this social stuff that you do around it. I I really have. So good for you. You know, my wife loves it. My kids love it. We've really, and it's been fun to see guys I've known for, for 20 years. So it's been a lot of fun and it's fun to go in the heartland too. I mean, we're with you in, here in here in cool places, Peebly, Missouri, South Boston, Virginia. You know, we're 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 the those hardcore race fans are. Well, I like I like listening to anything that Alan Bestwick is when he's on the call. I'm I'm loving it. So, yeah, he's he's a good guy. It's it's just been a lot of fun. You know, as as David mentioned in his introduction, you were the COO of NASCAR during its time of probably the greatest growth in in the sport and. Um, you know, it went through some down years, but we're seeing some resurgence in NASCAR racing. So what, what's your what's your thoughts on the health of NASCAR? And, um, you know, where where do you think uh, some of the challenges may be uh, as, it, as it looks to continue to grow? Yeah, look, I think NASCAR, you know, draws a, a huge audience every week, you know, on television and, and at the track. It's got real. The racing's very good. They've got great superstars, and you know it's a very credible, you know, property. And like everybody else, they're managing the change too, from linear television to digital. Uh, how do how do you reach younger consumers? But look, I think it's a great sports property. Uh, it's got its place in the in the sports mix, and I expect it to do really well, you know, going forward. So we're going to jump over to college sports because it's another thing you've had a great deal of involvement on. You obviously were super bullish on the college space during your time at IMG, a big part of making IMG a powerhouse in the multimedia rights area. Uh, and of course, beyond that, the the Pine family is multi generational in uh, in the college sports uh, in the college sports world. I'd like if you could to give us a few headlines on the status of college sports particularly in light of conference realignment and the, say the big 10 TV deal, but also we're going to give you an opportunity here to, I can't say necessarily break news, but, uh, but talk about anything uh, going on in, uh, in your family. And uh, one Drew Pine that uh, happens to be playing at a, at a rather significant Midwestern university. I'll kind of hit the, hit the family stuff first. I mean, look, we love college sports. My granddad played at Holy Cross. My dad played division three football. Both my granddad and dad played in the NFL. My father-in-law won the national championship in golf at, at Holy Cross and had a very successful PGA Tour. Both my brothers played college. I played college. My two kids played college. And college sports have been a big part of our life. And I, I love I love athletics and I, I love college sports. Um, my son, Drew, you know, I'm just a dad. I'm Drew Pine's dad, and, and um, I'm really proud of him. He's going to have his first start this week at Notre Dame. And, you know, like any other parent, I'll be – Sitting in the stands, uh, you know, they'd be uh, be rooting for him, but like anybody else, they'd be be worrying about him too. So, uh, you know, I'm just a regular. In that case, I'm just a dad worrying about my kid. I'm really proud of him. He's a good kid. I look forward to him uh, showing the best version of himself this Saturday. In terms of college sports as a whole, well, where is college sports? First of all, when you look at the Big Ten TV deal, at one close to 1.1 billion, it's almost twice that of the National Hockey League. And when you look at five, when you add the five conferences up, the value of their TV rights, it's second only to the NFL. What's more amazing about that, quite frankly, is that you have five different people selling those rights really against each other. Uh, and imagine if you had a single seller of those rights, what those rights could be worth. So, you know, the value of college sports is quite high. I don't think there's anything else like it in America because I think if you're a college sports fan, you know, look, my school stands for my values. You know, we started off by talking about Wake Forest Demon Deeks. You know, what's, there's a lot to love about Wake Forest. You're proud of it. It's a, it's a statement of who you are and what you stand for. And so, 
that's special. The only place in the world that I really see that is probably European football, where you know I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm an Alabama. Oh, oh man. I, I'm I'm George. I'm loving you even more, man. So am I. <laughs> Wake Forest, Liverpool. It's the same thing. So, so I think the state of college sports is terrific. I think it really has some challenges going forward. I think the challenges, you know, are are, are the following: the Supreme Court ruled nine to zero that you know the way college sports they they, they took the cap off of academic spending and stayed silent on non-academic spending. But said in the in the opinion that it really it's not organized legally, and so I think in the next five to ten years you're going to have to pay the players a share of the tickets and the TV money. Now, someone that loves the sport, I really hope that that change comes from within the system, meaning it's led by the industry and not the courts and not politicians. But you know, if history is an indicator of the future, when you look at the NIL, you knew five or six years ago that the NIL was coming and the industry was not able to coalesce and cooperate because it's so fragmented has so many different interests that in the end, the NIL left, was left to the courts. And, and really the way the NIL has been organized has really created havoc on the game itself. And it's probably not constructive. And so you really hope, if you love college sports, that the industry can come together and address a very difficult issue, but address it effectively for the betterment of all the colleges and all the student athletes. And it's unclear to me whether that's really going to happen. And I, I'm really disappointed that that's the case. But it's hard, you know, when you think about Division FBS football is 130 teams. You know, Division One basketball is 300 teams, and the difference between team 125 and team five is, is different. And, and there's nobody really in charge because the NCAA is a body that represents all the schools. So they're just kind of like an association head. It's not like they make the final decision. So I think, you know, college sports, that's the challenge. How do you lead it? How do you organize it? It's big time business. No doubt about it. I mean, the rights fees are second to the NFL, truthfully. And they're not sold correctly. Imagine if you sold them as a single seller, which you could do. And that's before you come with the college football playoff. So, um, you know, how you how you evolve the sport, given all the success, I think is really the biggest challenge. And I just really hope for the good of the game that it gets figured out. Uh, before we ask you the wrap-up question, George, I, I know this is a podcast, so our viewers won't see it, but the pride that you had on your face when you were talking about Trill <laughs> was just, it was so great to see. So congratulations to him and, and, and good luck, Dad. Um, you know, as, a, as an ND fan, I, I really hope they, they get on the board this weekend quickly. So um, we, we like to ask our guests the same question every week. So we're, we're going to ask you, how did you get your start in sports business is the first part of the question. And the second part is, what one piece of advice would you have for somebody who's looking to break into the business? Well, your career got started. Where'd you start Kind of a weird way. I, I was working in a big company and I was kind of the chief of staff to the president of the company. And I, I wanted us to get in the sports business. And he kept, I kept asking and he kept saying no. Finally, one day I said, if I, you do all your other responsibilities, you can do it. And I, and I did, and it, and it kind of worked out. So that was kind of a, a weird way. I mean, my advice would to be always take uh, an opportunity versus a job. Be with a good, uh, be with a good person, and, and, and take a long view. And I'm sorry, Tim. What was the second question? Well, that one piece of advice which you hit on, right? Take the opportunity, not and don't not take the, the money. Don't, every, never take the money. Take the opportunity. Take what's going to develop your career, and then. Be with good people. I've been very fortunate to, to have really been around really good people because the thing about it, if you work for someone that's not a good person, you know, that's probably going to impact you. But if you work for someone that's a really good person, that's going to impact you positively. So I think, you know, who you work for and who you work with, like those are really important things. And the last thing I would just say that I did right, you know, in the 1990s, Atlanta was a growth market, Super Bowl, Olympics. In the 1990s, I thought NASCAR was a growth market. You know, college sports, I thought was a growth market. Tech, I think, is a growth market. Like, there's more opportunities for people in a growing market than they are in a shrinking market. 
So if you really think about it, be with good people, take the opportunity, identify growth markets. That would be my advice. Hey, George, um, I'm going to go back somewhat to the first question. Can you take us through the the whole, you know, the origination of, or the origin, I should say, of the NASCAR world concept? Because that's where we first met, of course. Yeah, so, so I was working in Atlanta for the president of Portman Companies, and we had the Super Bowl and the Olympics come into town. We had 27 buildings that we owned downtown and a lot of them were empty it was a bad economy and so i was like hey let's let's run sporting events in our, our buildings and they're like yeah and we have the fifth largest trade show company in the u.s so i was like we should get in the event business let's pivot and go to the sports event business my boss was like no and then we did a thing called the world's largest super bowl party which really was on location only 30 years ago <laughs> and it was a huge success we had thirty thousand people and we had 300 nfl players and that launched an event business. And then we were watching the NFL experience and other things like it. And we went down and tried to create it in NASCAR, which you know is marginally successful, but the quality was good. And the, and because of the quality was so good, I think that's why the guys at NASCAR hired me. And um, it turned out to be I was at the right place at, at, at the at the right time. I'll tell you one funny story that it's a, so I'm working at Portman. I, I've been away from home for like two years. My wife and I, we've been married 32, 32 years. We go home and I, and I get a call that says, you can meet the son of the owner of NASCAR, but you got to be there in 48 hours. And I'd only taken, I'd only seven to one week off. And I had not taken a vacation in like two years. Sure enough, I got on the plane, multiple planes, <laughs> went to Daytona on the Friar Cracker 400, made a presentation to NASCAR prime France. And I know that made a big impact on them. So like when you get an opportunity to be something yeah. transformative, you, you, you got to hop on it. But like it's NASCAR was a great run. The people were wonderful and, and I was at the right place at the right time. Well, I remember somebody that you worked with on NASCAR world, uh, Mark Donovan, um, who is now of course the president of the chiefs. And we have him as a guest coming up in a couple of weeks. So uh, pretty excited about that. Yeah, Mark's a great friend. I'm, I'm actually going to see him this week. I'm going to the, the uh, Chiefs to the Steelers game. Awesome. And he's a he's a, he's an amazing career and a very talented guy. Very talented guy. Quarterback, quarterback on my college football team. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. Talk about getting teammates early and uh, <laughs> and and partnering up with them for a while. Uh, give them uh, give them our best and uh, let them know how great of a show experience this was. All right. <laughs> I'm going to see him this Thursday. 100. percent all right, George, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, George. Great to see both of you guys. Real fun discussion with uh, George Pine. There's just no question. He's made quite a mark on the industry and continues to do so at the helm of Bruin. And we obviously want to extend the best of uh, the best of luck to, uh, to his son, Drew, uh, in Notre Dame's game against Cal coming up. Um, we have come to that part of the show where we like to take a quick peek ahead. Tim, what do you have your eye on? Well, I'm looking forward to see what happened in the past, if that makes any sense. Um, for the first time, um, I think in league history, the WNBA playoffs uh, went up directly against the, the NFL. So I'll be very curious to see what those numbers are are like uh, because WNBA has had a phenomenal season when it comes to attendance and ratings. And I'd hate to see it sort of, uh, you know, stall out here in the finals because there are two te great teams playing um, because they're play they're up against the NFL. So I'll, I'll be interested to see that. Another thing I'm looking at is um, how quickly Fox is going to sell out their Super Bowl ads. Uh, they are at, uh, they're getting 7 million, up to $7 million per 30 second spot, which uh, of course, not surprisingly, is is a record. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's not going to be any shortage of talk about American football. So um, hopefully everybody in the worldwide audience will will bear with us a little bit because it's just a it's a it's a dominant force. And so we're going to have to keep an eye on it and, and all the business stories going um, on around it. A couple things. Uh, one, I'm actually heading up to your one of your favorite places, Ithaca, New York, this my weekend for a place. wedding. It's and and uh, and I'm looking forward to being my happy place for a few days. Uh, very excited about uh, being able to be in that. I, I've I've had the opportunity to be there and on campus, and it's just a beautiful place. I can see why you love it so much. 
Uh, so, uh, so I will be up there and, and maybe I'll have a few places to talk to you about, uh, that you'll know. Um, but I introed my part here about NFL because one of the things I'm looking forward to is to seeing the first real regular season Amazon production, uh, this Thursday night, you know, we'll see where the ratings net out. We'll see how the production looks. We'll see how people take to it. But one thing I want to point out that, that happened Last week, I get a mailer. This has just cracked me up. I get an old, like a regular, what looks like a piece of junk mail, but it's from Amazon. And for whatever reason, I'm compelled to open that junk mail from Amazon. I don't know what it's going to be. And what it is, is a, a direct mail piece telling me that I'm not taking full advantage of Amazon Prime Video and that there are all kinds of things I, sh- I can be watching on Prime Video, not the least of which is the NFL on Thursday night. And in that mailer, they include that old school refrigerator magnet with the full Thursday night NFL schedule. And I'm thinking this is one of the most tech forward companies that has absolutely commandeered all that technology promises and delivered an unbelievable service to people. And here they are to promote and to make sure that those games are watched because they have to be a little concerned about the potential numbers here uh, on their Thursday night broadcasts are using the oldest of old school marketing techniques. And you know what? I think it might just work. Um, I mean, here's a, here's a company that can get to us in so many ways. They can reach us in so many ways. And they do. Sending a direct mail piece that I happened to open and got this refrigerator magnet. Um, I don't think my refrigerator like holds those type of things anymore. I don't even know if any of them do anymore. But anyway, I just thought that was fascinating. Yeah, that is that's interesting. And obviously, you're in the target audience, and I'm not because I did not get said direct mail. Piece. Well, no, I got a direct mail piece because they they're trying to probably say we've got to get those we've got for, to get our numbers up. We've got to make sure the old people know that this thing is on Prime Thursday night, and you're a Prime member. You better watch the games. Yeah. I think that's the point. So I don't think they're probably reaching the young people in different ways. <laughs> they know they they know everything about me. There's not a question about that. So um, that's a wrap on episode number 35 of Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. Uh, the time moves so quickly, Tim, on these shows before we know it, we're at the end. Next week, we'll be back recording on our normal Tuesday afternoon, and we have another tremendous guest lined up, which means, of course, that you have an extra day to catch up on your podcast listening. So thank you for checking in with us each week. As always, please share the show with others that you feel might enjoy it. Until next week, I'm DP. He's McGee. We'll talk soon. <laughs>